The following presentation of Walking Through the Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions is from a previous broadcast and is a production of Take 12 Recovery Radio. Some portions of this show may have included promotions or giveaways that were time-sensitive and may no longer be applicable. To listen and download more of Walking Through the Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions, visit our website at take12radio.com and click on Recovery Workshops. I've got to give it up. The views expressed on this episode of Walking Through the Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions with Chris Schroeder do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or our affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. And greetings, a recovery family. How in the heck are you guys? Welcome to another fine episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, AA Conference Approved Literature, yeehaw, uh, with your, uh, well, our, our, our fearless facilitator, leader, and educator, Chris Schroeder. Well, this week we are... Uh, we're going to be tackling tradition eleven, and this is going to be kind of fun uh, for 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 us. Um, and, and the reason is, I have fun with this, is because I get I get confronted with this one on occasion. Now, when we first started broadcasting nine years ago, I got you know confronted with this a lot. I don't much anymore. Uh, but every once in a while, somebody will say, oh, you're breaking traditions by doing this radio thing. And, of course, they either haven't listened to the show, never listened to the disclaimer, never been to the website. They just heard somebody say something that somebody else said. And usually that's how it goes when it comes to these things. Uh, but this is going to be a this is going to be a fun tradition. So launch us forth there, my friend. Well, you, you know, Monty, as you say, there's a, there is a lot of uh, controversy. There's a lot of misunderstanding about uh, uh, Tradition 11 and certainly uh, Tradition Tradition 12. And and I believe uh, I believe you know this will never happen. But I, I would be for a rewriting of these last two traditions, not you know uh, by a World Service if, if you could trust. Uh, if you could trust the people to, to do a good job editing them, which you couldn't, but uh, but and it's just because they lead themselves, uh, they lead so many people into misunderstanding. They're not they're not clear enough right. about uh, uh, about what you can do. They're they're clear about what you can't do, but they're not clear about what you can do. So what what happens is it, it leads people to believe that anonymity is secrecy. And that in itself has probably done the most damage uh, to the most uh, people suffering from uh, addictive illness that you can imagine. Uh, and, and I just I just want to make a little case for that. When uh, you know when, when mental health uh, when mental health got uh, rid of ninety uh, plus percent of the stigma, they you know they did it with uh, uh, with lobbying. And with people getting really active and 
making it known that they were going to they were going to vote you know uh, a certain way for this issue what happened is the stigma uh, uh, against the mentally ill you know really receded uh, even even the AIDS even the AIDS epidemic, right? You know, uh, the, they fought they fought in in marches in Washington, and and they got they got active. They put themselves out there uh, to try to uh, to try to fight for uh, fight for a cure and fight for uh, you know uh, non discrimination and to try to battle the the, the stigma of uh, of AIDS. And to a degree, they really, really were very successful. And it was because of, you know, this organizational, uh, 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 the organizational impact of all these people, you know, uh, talking about one subject and and waving their flag really, really hard. Sure. Now, now what ha- what happens? Is, you know, the craziest thing in the world, Monty, is addictive illness is the number one health threat in the country today. Yeah. Uh, it's bigger than cancer and heart disease on top of each other. More people are afflicted or, or affected by addictive illness than, uh, than heart disease or cancer. Uh, and it's a devastating illness. Lots and lots of people die. Lots of people die from addictive illness. Uh, OD, OD uh, deaths from uh, prescription medication has quadrupled in the last couple of decades, uh, even less than I, I think, especially with women. Amazing amounts of pain and suffering out there. And yet you cannot get politicians to do the right thing when it comes to uh, comes to addiction issues. Let me let me tell you a quick story. I'm, I'm part of uh, uh, I'm part of the board for uh, the National Council on Alcoholism and and and, uh, and Drug Dependency (NCADD). And one of the things they asked me to do because of my media experience was to have a candidate debate in New Jersey. And what that looked like was we sent out official invitations to all of these candidates a couple of months prior to uh, elections. And it went out to the governor, it went out to the senators, it went out to the congressmen, it went out to the mayors of the large cities, it went out to the governor, it went out to everybody, and it was an open invitation to please come uh, to a candidate debate where I was going to be the moderator, all right, and there was going to be five questions that were going to be asked, and they got the questions beforehand. Uh, politicians really like to know what the questions are. They don't like any surprises. They like to be able to prepare uh, their answer. So, uh, so basically, what happened was uh, uh, I was I was all set with my questions. All the invitations went out, and guess who showed up? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> okay. So we go. Okay. Okay. You're not going to show up. What we'll do is you can answer this. Uh, you can answer this. You know, by by mail. What what we'll do is we'll we'll send you the questions, and you can uh, you can respond to us by mail. Guess how many politicians responded? None. None. No one wants to go on the record to say that they are compassionate uh, to the problem of addiction or alcoholism. No one wants to go on the record saying that they're they're uh, they approve of increased expenditures to the alcoholics and the drug addicts. You know, even if they personally have some compassion and believe it's the right thing to do, they don't want to be the candidate going on record saying that they're going to do it. And some of the questions, Monty, were uh, basically, 
uh, you know, would, would you would you fight for a better state of parity in uh, in insurance reimbursements for addictive illness? Uh, you know, would you fight for uh, uh, fight for prison reform and uh, and, and reform of uh, mandatory pe- uh, penalties uh, for drug possessions? And all of these questions that really, you know, as as uh, as recovered alcoholics or recovered addicts, Monty, we should be very very interested in these things because yeah. we're we're being told we're being told by all forms of of recovery literature. That we need to we need to be continuing to be at a place where we can continue to help uh, help the still sick and suffering alcoholics or, or drug addicts, and we can sometimes do that in the voting booth. But the politicians aren't even giving us a chance. We can't we can't even figure out who to vote for because none of them go on any record. So I mean I mean I mean think about this uh, think about this. The, the two traditions that we're going to be talking about uh, tonight and next week have to do with anonymity. It has to do with uh, a, a spiritual principle of anonymity and how that involves one's membership in a 12-step fellowship. It does not have to do with saying you're a recovered alcoholic or you're a recovered addict and getting active politically or finding out how to lobby or how how to how to put voices together that will fight for you know a a, a renewed vision of alcoholism and drug addiction and its treatment because right now right now alcoholism and drug addiction uh, let, let me let me let me tell you a quick story this is very very interesting uh, have you ever heard of the Hughes Act Monty yeah why have i heard that name uh, 1971, uh, the Hughes Act. Hughes was a very, very important politician and an alcoholic, I believe. What happened in uh, one of the last bills Nixon signed before he was impeached was this this uh, 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 free, freedom of, what was it called? Uh, 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 freedom of uh, Care Act, Freedom Care Act, or something like that. It was the Hughes Act of 1971. Here's, here's basically what happened. Uh, and this is really interesting. From 1935, at the beginning of Alcoholics Anonymous, to 1971, there were 500. It took that long to get 500,000 members in Alcoholics Anonymous. So in 1971, there was a membership of 500,000. When the Hughes Act went in, what that did was that opened the, the floodgates for reimbursement, forced reimbursement for addiction treatment. And what happened was... Forty percent of the beds in hospitals and, uh, uh, and and clinics and everything in America, forty percent of those beds were addiction, whether they were alcoholism or drug addiction. Uh, they were an amazing amount of people were getting treated. Now, in a five-year period from 1971 to 1976, the membership in Alcoholics Anonymous grew by another 500,000. Where do you think all those people were coming from? Treatment centers. Yeah, they were coming. Treatment centers were pouring them out the door. Yeah, and they were they were telling them to go, uh, telling them to go to AA. Now that caused its own amount, own problems, and we could talk about the problems that that caused some other time. You know, uh, opening up the, the 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 gates and just letting uh, practically anybody into the the twelve step fellowships at that point in time. But uh, but just looking at uh, access to health care. Forty percent of the people in the country that were getting health treatment were getting addiction treatment. 
Wow. Now, now for one reason or another, that, that lasted. That last, a lot of that lasted through the 70s and through the 80s. I ended up in, a, in treatment in a place called uh, uh, CAI, Center for Addictive Illness. Uh, it was in a hospital, and, it, and my treatment was in early 1989. And there were still a lot of treatment centers, and reimbursement was fairly easy. It was not too difficult for a place to put together a treatment process and, and uh, offer you treatment and then get reimbursed. But what happened was that the, uh, uh, what, what, what basically happened was the managed, managed care came in in 1992, and that was the HMOs, and the, the, uh, as soon as they came in, they wiped out 90% of the available treatment. Uh, treatment beds were gone. The ability to get reimbursement for uh, for addiction and alcoholism treatment became increasingly difficult, and we lost about 600 uh, treatment centers a year, you know, from 1992 to the end of the 90s. Uh, it, it was amazing how many treatment centers went out of business. It was crazy. So, uh, so we went from having too much. Uh, addiction treatment uh, to not having enough, they can't seem to get the balance right, and it seems to blow by the political winds. Now, th- think about think about this, Monty. Let, let's say addiction uh, treatment is something that you want. Try to sell this to people. Uh, statistics show that if we go back to the way it was, uh, say in, in in the in the late 70s. Uh, it would increase everyone's insurance bill by about 10%. So everybody across the board with an insurance policy would have to pay 10%. That would be, you know, your employer and you, however that worked out. Mm -hmm. Right. Who who is going to want to do that? Right. You may, you may have addiction in your family, and you may you may think it's worth an, adi- an additional ten percent. But try selling that. Try selling that to the insurance companies that know they're increasing their their rates too fast anyway. How, how about to the large organizations who know they're already paying too much for health care insurance? You know, you're not going to make that sale. You're not going to say, "Hey, let's treat all the addicts and alcoholics." It's only going to cost you ten percent more on your insurance. Uh-huh. Everyone is going. Everyone's going to say no. So, so there's there's multiple multiple challenges to getting the people who need addiction treatment addiction treatment. It's it's hard. The only thing I think that could happen that could help this is if the 10 million sober alcoholics and addicts in America. There's 10 million. All right, they're not all in the 12 step fellowships. Only only about. 15 to 20 percent are, but that but there's still people who have had drug and alcohol problems who are now clean and sober. There's about 10 million of them. If you could organize those 10 million people into a voting block, you could get somewhere because it could tip some of these local elections. It could tip some of these uh, these, these elections. 10 million people. It's a lot of people. Yeah. So 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 what happens though is because of tradition 11. And tradition 12, people think that you're supposed to get sober, you're supposed to get clean and sober, and then you're supposed to shut up. Right. You're not supposed to talk to anybody about anything. You're not supposed to tell your neighbor, you're not supposed to tell your boss, you're not supposed to do anything, because to be anonymous means to be secret. And that's not 
what these traditions are about. But they uh, they can allude to it. You know, like I say, they're they're not they're telling you kind of what not to do. They're not giving you permission to do what you can do. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it it, it does. And it, 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 it's so sad because. I uh, really, and I've said this before on shows, and we've discussed it. That makes a lot of this our fault, you know. Yeah, it, it is. It is because because we're we're sticking our head in the sand, Monty. Not you and and me. I mean, I think I think we do our our we do right. our personal personal best at some of this stuff. But you know, the, the majority of the people who've gotten theirs, you know, addiction and alcoholism are are illnesses that kind of require, as part of the spiritual sustenance of recovery, kind of require us to reach out and try to help other people that are similarly afflicted. Right. You know, right. That's, it's incumbent upon us to do that. And, and, and what these traditions try to tell us is we can only do it in the rooms. Well, that's not that's, true. Yeah, that's And not, if we continue right. to think that, if we continue to think that, our specific... Uh, our specific disease that's progressively fatal will continue to go un- under under recognized, under respected, and underfunded. You know, yeah. what I mean? for for uh, for treatment. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of clinical treatment, uh, Monty, but uh, but there's but uh, I'll tell you what: when people are in real trouble and they're just they're just coming off the bottle or just coming off the needle or the pipe. You know, I, I want them to be in a hospital situation. I want them, I want them to have pro- professional, medically supervised uh, detoxification. You know, we, we we and we need that to be reimbursed because people that can't afford it, you know, detox in their basements and a lot of times die. You know what I mean? Well, and, and the other the other thing is, and you you hear it all the time. People say, "Well, it's not my problem. Why should I, you know, have any kind of financial investment, even if it's a penny more?" Well, you know, it, it, it's okay. Uh, you're going to pay for it one way or the other, either, you know, by having to replace your broken windows and the stuff that got stolen out of your house or, you know, through the drunk driving accidents. I mean, either indirectly or directly, we're going to end up paying for it. And, you know, we're paying for it in our taxes with the criminal justice system. Uh, we we already know how much proof out there there is to... Um, Substantiate uh, the fact that tr- that that treatment, long term treatment, uh, is less expensive than long term prison sentences. Um, uh, you're you're yeah. so right. You're so right. They've done studies to show that for every one dollar of of treatment money that gets spent, it saves society six dollars. It, it doesn't save any one person six dollars, though. It, right. it saves in DUI courts. It saves in prisons. It saves in in emergency room visits. It's it's it saves in you know, it, it, you know it, it saves in a lot of different areas. It's, it saves in taxes being paid. It saves in a lot of areas, but they're dispersed. So there's no single you know money holder who 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 it's, it's worth their money to pay that one dollar. Yeah. Uh, you know you know they have to all get together. And pay a little bit of that one dollar, 
but you know that just that just doesn't seem to happen, and it doesn't happen because addiction is like the and alcoholism is the redheaded stepchild of the medical community, and uh, uh, and, and you're and you're right when when you say it's got to be part our fault, it is part of our fault, and it's also the addiction and alcoholism treatment industry's fault because they they tend to uh, you know they tend to not pay attention to the things that work. And they they tend to pay attention to the to the new to the new trick pony, you know what I mean? Oh, right. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and then I then I'm going suboxone. <laughs> you know. You know uh, we better get reading. On, yeah, we better. <laughs> the show's going to be over. <laughs> okay, tradition eleven. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. So that's where we always must, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. What does that mean? That means no pictures and no last names and no specific person speaking for Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. And you are not to say you are an Alcoholics Anonymous member if your last name is used or a picture of you is used. Exactly. That And that is that is breaking this tradition. The other things that so many tradition police think are anonymity breaks, that's their opinion. It's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily an anonymity break. Uh, a lot of times it's their opinion that it's an anonymity break. And, you know, uh, I'll tell you what, I, 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 you know, I don't hold very, uh, very high standards with, uh, with opinions. Uh, I'd much rather have facts or experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Without its legions of well-wishers, AA could never have grown as it has. Throughout the world, immense and favorable publicity of every description has been the principal means of bringing alcoholics into our fellowship. In AA offices, clubs, and homes, telephones ring constantly. One voice says, I read a piece in the newspaper. Another, we heard a radio program. And still another, we saw a moving picture, or we saw something about AA on television. It is no exaggeration to say that half of AA's memberships have been led to us through through channels like these. The inquiring voices are not all alcoholics or their families. Doctors read medical papers about Alcoholics Anonymous and call for more information. Clergymen see articles in their church journals and also make inquiries. Employers learn that great corporations have set their approval upon us and wish to discover what can be done about alcoholism in their own firms. Therefore, a great responsibility fell upon us to develop the best possible public relations policy for Alcoholics Anonymous. Through many painful experiences, we have arrived at what that policy ought to be. It is the opposite in many ways of usual promotional practice. We found that we had to rely upon the principle of attraction rather than promotion. Now, again, Monty, why I would call for a rewriting of this tradition is this paragraph is saying the public relations policy is based on attraction, not promotion. How many times have you heard an alcoholic or an addict in a support group say, it's attraction, not promotion, when they're trying to not do something to be helpful? Right. They, they, They totally leave out, it's our public relations policy. Yeah. When you, when you read the chapter in the big book on working with others, that basically tells you to go out and ring all the doorbells and tell everybody you're a recovered alcoholic and yeah. you need people to work with. You know, so, so again, people read this paragraph and they think they're off the hook. They can, they can get theirs and then just go to the closed-minded discussion meeting on Wednesday and, uh, and that's that. 
and uh, it's 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 really it's it's not written well. Uh, is uh-huh. saying there should be there should be uh, you know uh, more about what we should be doing and less and and uh, you know I understand what we're not supposed to do, and he's going to go over all of that. But but what can we do to be of help uh, out there in the world? Let's see how these two contrasting ideas, attraction and promotion, work out. A political party wishes to win an election, so it advertises the virtues of its leadership to draw votes. Or where the charity wants to raise money, forthwith its letterhead shows the name of every distinguished person whose support can be obtained. Much of the political, economic, and religious life of the world is dependent upon public-sized leadership. People who symbolize causes and ideas fill a deep human need. We of AA do not question that. But we do have to soberly face the fact that being in the public eye is hazardous, especially for us. By temperament, nearly every one of us had been an irrepressible promoter, and the prospect of a society composed almost entirely of promoters was frightening. Considering this explosive factor, we knew we had to exercise self-restraint. Again, they're talking about promoting Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, they're, yeah. they're, that's what they're talking about here. And... Uh, and to a degree, I believe Bill wrote this in reaction to some things that are that were going on in Alcoholics Anonymous in the very early fifties, the late forties and very early fifties. Uh, most of the things that he was talking about in the traditions were were meant to protect the fellowship. And you had you had wackadoos out there like Clarence Snyder and a bunch of other people who were who were just off the hook, wheels off. You know, promoting uh, promoting things, and they had a specific type of AA that they believed in, and and you know you had to do this this way, and 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 Bill Bill Wilson was horrified uh, by by this because because he really believed that some of these people were trying to define what Alcoholics Anonymous was, and they were wrong about their definitions in Bill's eyes. So, you know, this is uh, a lot of this chapter or this particular uh, tradition is in response to that. The way this restraint paid off was startling. It resulted in more favorable publicity of Alcoholics Anonymous than could possibly have been obtained through all the arts and abilities of AA's best presentation. <clears throat> Obviously, AA had to be publicized somehow, so we resorted to the idea that it would be far better to let our friends do this for us. Precisely, precisely that has happened to an unbelievable extent. Veteran newsmen, trained doubters that they are, have, have gone all out to carry AA's message. To them, we are something more than the source of good stories. On almost every news front, the men and women of the press have attached themselves to us as friends. In the beginning, the press could not understand our refusal of all personal uh, publicity. They were genuinely baffled by insistence upon anonymity. Then they got the point. Here was something rare in the world, a society which said it wished to publicize its principles and its work, but not its individual members. The press was delighted with this attitude. Ever since these friends have reported AA with an enthusiasm which the most ardent members would find hard to match. There was that, well, not anymore, Monty, because I'll tell you, you know, a story is a story is a story today in today's press. Mm-hmm. If, uh, you know, if, if you can get uh, Colin Farrell or if you can get... Uh, uh, you know, one, one of the, one of these, uh, one of these guys sober, uh, you know, there's a million of them that are, that are, uh, going off the tracks in Hollywood. If you can get them sober and talk about the AA meetings in the, in, in your, in your article, you're going to go ahead and do it. Uh, there are some journalists that still have, 
you know, and, and feel an ethical responsibility uh, to to watch for anonymity. But then there's some that don't really care at all. Sure. There was actually a time when the press of America thought the anonymity of AA was better for us than some of our own members did. At one point, about a hundred of our society were breaking anonymity at the public level. He's talking about Cleveland. <laughs> With perfectly good intent, these folks declared that the principle of anonymity was uh, was horse and buggy stuff, something appropriate to AA's pioneering days. They were sure that AA could go faster and further if it availed itself of modern publicity methods. AA, they pointed out, included many persons of local, national, or international fame. Provided they were willing, and many were, why shouldn't their membership be publicized, thereby encouraging others to join us? These were plausible arguments, but happily our friends of the writing profession disagreed with them. You know, what was going on in the, in the 40s, Monty, where, where people were putting their pictures in the paper, or their first and last names, with, with, a, with you know, contact AA and, the, and their personal phone numbers. You know, I mean, they were doing that as 12-step work, and mm. probably most of them were doing it, probably most of them were doing it with good intentions. But... Uh, you know, but Bill in New York uh, saw that as, uh, as as not really not really doing what Bill wanted everybody to do, which is you know go through go through the local offices. Right. The foundation wrote letters to practically every news outlet in North America, setting forth our public relations policy uh, of attraction rather than promotion, and emphasizing personal anonymity as AA's greatest protection. Since that time, editors and rewrite men have repeatedly deleted names and pictures of members from AA copy. Frequently, they have reminded ambitious individuals of AA's anonymity policy. They have even sacrificed good stories to this end. Uh, again, Monty, not necessarily much anymore. The force of their cooperation has certainly helped. Only a few AA members are left who deliberately break anonymity at the public level. In this brief, in this is, is the process by which AA's Tradition 11 was constructed. To us, however, it represents far more than a sound public relations policy. It is more than a denial of self-seeking. This tradition is a constant and practical reminder that personal ambition has no place in AA. In it, each member becomes an active guardian of our fellowship. And again, you know, it's a sh that's a short tradition. It basically says what not to do. It gives us some reasons to not do it. Uh, but it should be addressing what we should be doing uh, with our 12-step work. If we're to be in the place where we're to be of maximum benefit to God and fellow man, if we're to be in the place where we can, we continually are asking ourselves, how do we help the still sick and suffering alcoholic? We need to know what we can do, and it's not in this tradition. This tradition just tells us what not to do. So it's easy to infer that we should do nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and... Is it because you think it's because the fear is that if we if we write a pam if we write a pamphlet or a book on what we should do, it's going to look like a contradiction. Well, uh, the NCATD. If you go online and you read, uh, you, you can go for um, uh, uh, you can you can Google this. It's called Anonymity is Not Secrecy, and it was, it was penned by the NCADD. Our good friend Rick Orstrom had a lot to do with that, by the way. And this is a statement that the NCADD puts out, basically saying, saying what you can do and what you should be doing. You know, they're very careful to say we're, we're not to admit to membership in any specific 12-step fellowship. 
you know, we're not we're not to do that, but we still have an incredible latitude to uh, to be helpful. You know, whether that's joining Faces and Voices or the anonymous people, there's like a number of movements now, Monty, uh, right. where you know where people, you know, the the rallies rallies for recovery are all over the place. I mean, these these are things that need to be supported. And I'll tell you, if the 10 million people who were sober would, would support these things, we could change the face of addiction and alcoholism treatment worldwide. It would be amazing what could be accomplished with 10 million votes. But uh, I'm not too hopeful. I, I think we can make it that in it, Monty, but um, yeah, too hopeful. Yeah, and, and, think, spe- and speaking of which, to give, to give it a plug, uh, we've got – what has been deemed nationally as recovery month just around the corner September yeah absolutely yeah. that's something yeah. that should be supported you know but as far as getting getting everybody on board i think the damage has been done yeah it's been done by it's been done by these traditions yeah and you've got it you know it's that you got the battle from within you've got these tradition uh demigods you know that um I listen. Like to, you know, I support. I support one hundred percent. I support the spirit of these traditions. Yeah, I, I believe in every one of them. I believe in the spirit of the of tradition eleven and twelve. I, you know, I just, I just think I think that it could have been laid out better. Uh, you know, I I think I think it leads people to believe they're totally off the hook and they don't need to do anything. They can just go to their little group and everything is fine. Uh, let, let me ask you this uh, now. Isn't there uh, is isn't there in our literature in the literature of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, something about um, one of the reasons that these guys didn't dedicate full time to all this stuff was because they had jobs and all that kind of thing, and then we discover later on that most of them were unemployed. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, they found they found that the people who kept really really active. Working with other people are the people who got sober. The people that found better things to do, including jobs, were a lot of times the people who relapsed. Remember, they were low, low bottom alcoholics. Uh, you know, the first one hundred or so. Yeah. You know, the first people in the first ten years. These, these were these were people who'd been committed multiple times, and uh, and they were in really bad shape. They they needed super good involvement uh, to be able to stay uh, be able to stay sober. And you know, one thing Dr. Bob was doing was Dr. Bob was making it work with people. He was uh, he was taking he was helping you to get through the steps, but but he was making you work with people right after that too, and engaging your family in the quiet times and the uh, the house parties and all the other things. And, and you were you were to be real involved. You know, if you were if you had any free time, they were expecting you to go to the hospitals or the sanitarians and, and uh, be talking to alcoholics. You, you needed to go out and find alcoholics to work with. You know, there were no meetings. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to go, you got to go find people. And, uh, and that, that kept people sober, you know, in the early days it did. You know, it reminded me, I, I was, uh, I was reading, a uh, or watching a video, um, uh, about a gentleman who was talking about altar calls, uh, how he was, He's against altar calls in churches, not because he's against the spirit of the altar call, but but because we get wrapped up in just that, and then we don't go out any further than the four walls of our our, our churches and synagogues and and, and so forth. Uh, it's the same thing that I'm I'm seeing in in uh, our twelve step fellowships. 
we have these altar calls. You know, we we, we might call them uh, we might call them beginners meetings or or whatever, and they go on and on and on and on, and they're just altar calls. You know, come, you know, uh, tell us tell us that you know are you got are you brand new? You got twenty four hours to give you a chip and all this stuff. But when you walk out the door, nobody's reaching out to the people that that really need it. The the, the one on one, sit me down and talk to me. Uh, uh, qualify the alcoholic or the addict to see if they really truly are of the hopeless variety. That just doesn't, at least on the West Coast, it just doesn't happen. It's just it's just a twelve step altar call. You know what I'm saying? You know, ninety five percent of the meetings in Australia are what's called ID meetings. And it's people coming in and telling their little drunk story. You know, uh, yeah. this, this is how I drank, so I'm an alcoholic. And that's what the meeting is. And that's, that's unbelievable to me. You know, listen, if you show up in a 12-step uh, group, you, you know, there's a good chance you've got a serious problem. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the problem, but, oh, man, we've got to talk about the solution. You know, just just pitching your drunk log, you know, is... Is I, I don't know how how many times can you hear people do that you know without without having to leave so so you know again I think uh, I think that there needs to be uh, uh, group inventories all the time uh, questions need to be answered in those group inventories like are we are we actively and effectively carrying the message of the twelve steps to the newcomer you know uh, are 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 enough experienced members in this group available for sponsorship at all times. I mean, there's, there's inventory stuff that has to happen in these groups for the groups to stay healthy. Just like you you have to do an inventory uh, as, a, as a, a recovered alcoholic or addict. You have to do inventory every once in a while. Groups should be doing inventory, too, and they should be asking themselves those questions. You know, Bill wrote, uh, the sole purpose of an AA group is the teaching and practice of the 12 steps should be asking yourself in the group inventory is that our primary purpose is that what we're, we do best or do we just like to share <laughs> yeah, yeah you know yeah yeah so listen just like there's healthy and unhealthy people in aa and na there's healthy and unhealthy meetings all over the place and, and uh, you know uh, i think uh, i think we need to be paying attention to all that okay so so here's the 24 million dollar question what do we do about this, Chris? I mean, when I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you talk about this and I'm listening to myself talk about this and then I'm reflecting on, on my home group and I'm reflecting on the, the, the group that was my home group for, for 18 years uh, before this one. And it's like these, these people don't even know. You, you say, I, 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 I went back to my 12-step home group after the core conference. Uh-huh. And I shared, I, I made a statement. I said, I actually was around people that were applying and implementing these steps in their lives. It was amazing. They looked at me like I came from another planet. I mean, it, it was it was like they'd never even heard of the steps. You know, I, yeah, I they mean, didn't know what you're talking about. They didn't know what I was talking about. Impression- their impression of working a program is going to meetings. Is going to meetings. So what do we do if you if 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 the if the GSR and all the the service positions in a, in your local twelve step support meeting, if none of those people know any better, 
because the people that sponsored them or advised them didn't know any better. Uh, I mean, this is a hard nut to crack, Addy. It's like trying to introduce something brand new. You know what we should do, Monty? We should put together an inventory, uh, an inventory checklist for a group. And uh, I'd be happy to start that if you'll help me with it. I would love to. Okay, and then we put it on. We put it out there on your show, and uh, you know, maybe maybe groups in in or you're right around your hometown in Oregon may not pay much attention to it, but who knows what kind of uh, recovery groups will pick up on something like that? I, I would I would love to have it put it as a PDF on the site, and and uh, okay. uh, because uh, we really need to to regroup and step back and say what are we doing? Uh, you know our. Are we just stirring the pot of poison and, you know, or are, are we cleaning house? And, and I don't see a lot of house cleaning going on at the local level. Um, I'm actually, you know, I, I'm so excited about the core conference and, of course, what C4 is doing. And, and uh, But at the local individual level, if it's not happening there, you know, and, of course, you know, that old adage, you're never a prophet in your own home. I get that. I, I really do. I can count on my one hand how many people listen to any of my shows from from Albany, Oregon. <laughs> right. you, you know, but but people on the East Coast, we got tons of listeners on the East Coast. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it's it's some East Coast and people from. We got people from Dubai. We got like twenty people from Dubai that listen on a regular basis. Um, well, you you have your you have your Google Analytics turned on, right? Right, so, right. So you can actually you can actually track the map, and and uh, it'll tell you how many how many people are hitting you from where all over the world, right? Yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's. I'm not really impressed with Google Analytics. I don't think it's as accurate as some would say, but it can give you a rough idea. And 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 I'll tell you, the Albany, Oregon area, <laughs> forget it. <laughs> <laughs> But, hey, but, but you know what they say, Monty—a prophet in, the, in his own town. That's right. That's right, and that, and that's okay. That that that's fine. Um, if I want to drive a point home, I'll just go to a meeting here, and they can see me do it in person. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, very good. Well, next week is our last tradition, tradition twelve. It's last tradition. We're finishing this thing up. Can you imagine, Monty? Oh, I know. This has been this has been great. It's been another great experience with you. Uh, tradition 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Boy, we hear this one quoted out of context a lot, too. My goodness. Well, we're going we're gonna to be talking about that next week. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Monty. All right, listeners, don't forget our email, take12radio at comcast.net. This is the Monty Man along with Chris Schroeder, and we're wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye. Now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.